Did either of you buy the Vision Pro? Nope. Nope. Gonna wait. Wait, I think second or third version. It's gonna be the move. Yeah, they always get the kinks out. I also did not pick it up. The thing I've heard is that like it's it's pretty sick, but the weight starts mm. to wear on you. So I think they're gonna need to make it. I think it's just gonna be like uh, it seems like so much of this comes down to battery technology. Somebody's gonna need to figure out better battery tech because the the screen's obviously heavy, but so is the battery, and like you need to connect it to an external battery to use it for more than. I think like 10 minutes or something. What? Oh, so it does have a battery in the headset. I thought the only battery was the external one. Oh, am I wrong about that? I thought there was a no battery idea. in the headset. To be honest, I after I saw the price, it. I just stopped following it. Because I was like, oh, I'm clearly not buying this at 3500 <laughs> Yeah. I did buy the, the Rabbit. I was that, for 200 yeah. I'm like, let's 200 go. Bucks, let's why not? this is about. <laughs> okay, wait, but Adil, can you tell me this like, what exactly is the thesis for the rabbit though? Cause I'm not going to let like a little pocket device book my flights for me. There's yeah. just no way it's going to do a good job of that. And that's what it's like. Let this device do your tasks for you. Yeah. It's like, what task of this thing actually yeah. do besides answer GPT queries that I could just ask my phone. Right. I, I think that's the perfectly valid response. I don't know. I was very intrigued by the way they were training the agents in the browser by showing it like a task that crossed multiple tabs and uh, they also have the, I think I texted this to you, Nat. They do the $200 Perplexity Pro. That part's so like, cool. Yeah. If I'm going to get that, it's like BOGO for AI. I will roll the dice on the agent training. And then worst case, I end up with Perplexity, which I would have paid for anyway. Are they still doing that? Or was that like you had to have already pre-ordered? No, it's valid for the first 100,000 orders. So I think right now they're at 50,000. So. I think you tweeted this but i i thought like one point people were making with the rabbit was like kind of like really uh a good uh, like a very valid point like it's nice to see people experimenting with hardware again yeah like what i feel like we used to get a lot more hardware innovation than we do now and now like everything is software and there's like four companies that make hardware (laughs) yeah and like it is nice to see more stuff coming out i don't i don't know why this has to be a device though i I think that's like the right question, but dude, it's also the hardware is by teenage engineering. Like worst case, you end up with a stunning design artifact. Like I think yeah. I told you guys about the play date. No, I, or I don't remember. No, I don't think so. It's the little like game boy, tiny little game console oh, that's made by yes, panic and teenage engineering. And it's just so beautiful. Like, I just like to just pick yeah. it up, like push the buttons and play a game for like 10 minutes. I don't even game. I just like, <laughs> it's like an excuse to hold something lovely. I'm excited that we're entering like a hardware era. I think it's like hardware in general is cool again. Like people are building new devices. We're like getting into defense tech again and like all the nuclear and solar stuff and electric car companies. Like we're not just building apps anymore. I've heard a bunch of people make this argument and I'm, I'm believing it more and more that like, I think software is just going to become like basically worthless. Mm. Like, or it's, it's going to like approach worthlessness in the sense that it's going to become so easy to make software and like custom software that it'll be really hard for any, like it'll be really hard for SaaS companies in general to maintain their like dominance um, or their like size and profit margins. It's like, we were talking about Slack before we started recording. Like 
I bet a couple of motivated engineers could build like a Slack clone with GPT in a few weeks. Like if you if it got like large, if your if your company got large enough, and you like you guys know Austin Allred, mm-hmm. yeah, he's the founder of Lambda now. Um, what are they called? Bloom Tech. He said they were paying Slack a million dollars a year. Wow! Ooh. Wow! Like you for that price and for how easy it is to build software now, it's got to be worth it to just build your own, or it will be in a few years. Yeah, I'd imagine the value for Slack is not even the chat functionality; it's all the integrations. So, if someone only needs chat and you don't really need the integrations, then Possible. copying it doesn't sound very hard. The integration side, I think, you sort of have a human problem. Yeah, there. maybe the integrations. Yeah, what what is Slack's lock in? Like, what's Teams's lock in? Right, like, Teams because Teams is because you're part of Microsoft. Yeah, Teams basically comes with with the Microsoft suite. Yeah. yeah. So you're just getting it all for free anyway, or you're getting it all in the bundle anyway. Yeah. It's also very hard to migrate because your whole history is there and that's sort of a second knowledge base. I mean, if it's just the chat, totally. can you even just use like Discord or something? Yeah, probably. I'm so traumatized by Discord after the crypto. Bubble. I know. I never want to go on Discord again. <laughs> no, but like it if, has like a if it's gonna save you a million dollars a year, you would force your whole team to go on discord <laughs> like a million dollars a year for oh, chat doesn't feel right <laughs> <laughs> i know it seems ridiculous there, there had to be some reason it was worth that much right yeah i mean the integrations are really like that maybe that is it either way though i'm excited for hardware era yeah, good times ahead more physical stuff the the energy thing with ai stuff is, is neat too like sam altman had an interview the other day where he said that for us to keep scaling LLM and like AI progress, we need to make energy cheaper because it's going to become cost ineffective soon. Mm, it's a good good lever for. So, good, well, yeah, yeah, that's going to be the forcing function. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> for energy abundance, I love it. That's great. Totally, that'll make everything cheaper. Too cheap to meter. Yeah. Well, today we are here to discuss another kind of artificial intelligence. Good segue. Thank you. You tried. <laughs> you tried. <laughs> uh, that, was yeah. that was a good segue I wasn't being sarcastic <laughs> no I, I was thanking you seriously but yeah Flowers for Algernon by Daniel Keyes this is one of my favorites This, I think this is my third time going through it wow this is my first time reading it it was a great wreck yeah first time too I finished it in the morning and then I was like crying for like 15 minutes and then I like pulled myself together <laughs> I kept putting off getting to the end because uh, I knew that I would be sad. <laughs> so I read today. I was like, yeah. okay, I have to finish it before you record. Uh, so I knocked out the last 30 minutes this morning. Yeah. Should we do, I think probably a, maybe like a quick overview of the plot. I don't, I don't think it's uh and if you want to read this book before you listen, stop listening yeah. now. Cause we'll definitely talk about uh, some spoilers during the course of the episode. Yeah. Maybe we can do a really quick pre spoiler premise which is yeah you're basically reading it's a fiction book you're reading the journal of a severely handicapped man who joins an experiment where he will be operated on in order to regain his intelligence and then you kind of follow him through that journey and uh i think that's where we can cut for people who want to avoid spoilers (laughs) yeah also there's some really interesting history about this book it started as a short story and I don't know, do you, either of you guys, 
dig into the history of this? No, yeah, it's like a, no, tell us. Yeah, so it started as a short story. I believe the short story won the Hugo Award. Or it won some oh, like cool. short story. Like it won a, a pretty prominent short story competition. I should pull up exactly what it was. But he got an offer to publish the book from the short story as long as they changed the ending, uh, which obviously we will get into like how the book ended. But they wanted it to end as a happy ending as opposed to how the book actually ended. And he uh, oh, wow. and he turned it down. And I believe that happened twice before he actually found the publisher who actually published the book in the form that he wanted it. Huh. Wow. So they wanted, well, I guess we're in the spoiler zone. So they yeah. wanted him to retain yeah. his intelligence. And him to marry Alice and live. Wow. Oh God, after. that would be such a worse ending. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would have been a much better ending, but it would have been a less. <laughs> <laughs> I do think the decline is where so much of it, you basically have to like, you lose so much of the profound questions if you lose the decline. Yeah. 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 It's also, it brought like, I mean, just the fact, oh, actually I'll save my, I'll save my thought. We should do the plot overview. Yeah. Neil, do you want to do it? Yeah. So building on what Adil started with, which this is the journal of a guy who had a procedure that uh, allowed him to go from, what was his IQ at the beginning? Like six, was it in the sixties? 68, 70, something like 68, that. 72, uh, like being a kind of super intelligent, being what did they ever say what it got up to 180, 185 180 yeah 185 and you know seeing everything that happens along the way so when he was you know in the 60s of the IQ he was af- like effectively mentally disabled he was 30 in his mid 30s uh had a job at a bakery where he was doing like menial tasks like kind of kind of like a janitor assistant type of guy gets this procedure and then, you know, start like it doesn't happen instantly. He doesn't become 180 IQ instantly, but you see his ramp up in terms of intelligence. And it's really cool because it's his journal. So you even see stuff like his spelling starts off being like incredibly bad. And you start just like noticing the spelling getting like better and better and better. But he doesn't necessarily realize he's getting more intelligent. Like there's like times where he's like, oh, I remembered the spelling, but I hope I'm actually getting intelligent. So you just see like a very personal look at it. But as he gets more intelligent, he also becomes more aware of everything that's happening around him. So things that, you know, people he thought were his friends, he realizes they were actually making fun of him or, you know, things in his past, particularly with his family that, you know, he might have had fond memories of or, or, or didn't have memories of. He starts remembering and that brings up trauma, which he almost before didn't even realize he had. So... Uh, and then just to uh, close it, like then the, the 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 last part of the book is basically his decline because he realized and the mouse, you know, Algernon plays a role in all this, which we'll talk about. But he does realize at one point that his intelligence gains are temporary and that he's going to revert back to his original state. But he's fully self-aware that this is happening. So you kind of go on that journey with him, with him too. Obviously, a lot more happens in the book, but, you know, big picture, that's the that's the plot. Yeah. And Algernon is the like super intelligent mouse that they try the procedure on before they try it on Charlie. And so Algernon becomes super intelligent first. And then once they have done the experiment on Charlie as well, he then begins to notice Algernon's decline. And that's how he figures out that his decline is also coming. It's pretty gut wrenching. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think like the super sad the the way that like I actually don't think this would have been a super impactful book. I mean, it would have been interesting, but not super impactful if it ended with like him retaining his intelligence and marrying Alice. Yeah, there would have been no like serious. Uh, yeah, there would have been no stakes. I feel like. Yeah. Like, what would the climax be in that ending? Right. Like. Yeah. They could have turned it into like a cheap rom com type thing. <laughs> with like, <laughs> it just I wouldn't mean, have been very things, impactful. I think one of the things you lose without the regression is whether or not he was better off for having experienced this whole thing. Right. Because before the operation, he sort of lives in this world where like he doesn't really remember the traumas of his childhood or his family. And he doesn't know that the people he thinks are his friends are actually being cruel to him. So he doesn't feel lonely or or rather he does feel a little lonely. He does. He does note that, but he feels lonelier later when he has the super intelligence. Well, if you even remember early on, he wanted to become smart so that he could have more friends. Like he thought that was why he didn't have friends is because he's not as smart as everyone else. So he was aware he's not as smart as everyone else, but he felt lonely for sure. But you're right. He felt more lonely later. Like intellect almost, well, not almost intellect made him feel even more lonely number four yeah it was interesting to see the there's like a human desire to like improve no matter what like that seems to be the thing that ties everybody together like even even like before the operation charlie wanted nothing more than to read write and be intelligent and his mom who i think is a really interesting character like i think probably the most interesting because she's not sufficiently explored she was dying for it until she abandoned him, basically. Uh, yeah. All the researchers and the academics, Alice, who I also think was a really great character. Um, and then at the end, Charlie is still hoping for it, even though he, yeah. because he's forgotten that it's not possible. So he sort of regressed back to his prior state. And uh, well, he's forgotten that didn't make him happy. Yeah. 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 It's like truly a, uh, like a tragic book. And going back to the, history of it that was actually what he wanted to write like he was trying to write a modern day tragedy like and that was mm-hmm. and that was why he kept rejecting or like these publishers he kept pushing back and was like i'd rather not publish the book than like publish it with a different ending because you don't have a tragedy without that tragic fall at the end yeah. and he actually yeah. there was an interview and this is all on the wikipedia page which we should definitely link to but there's a lot of yeah. good stuff on there there was a quote from him from an interview where he was talking about it was one of Plato's dialogues where Plato was saying a tragedy can only happen to somebody who's born in a high position because you need something to fall from. And then the author of, uh, of flowers was like, let's test that. And in this case, his point was like, let's start from a low position, go to a high position and fall from that high position. Like Mm. that was basically the, exploration that he was doing in this book he even loses because i think one of the lessons of getting to the like high intelligence is that he's like oh i know more people and i can talk to them about more things but i kind of have lost that emotional piece so he actually had this thing you would you might call like a high position at the beginning that he didn't have and then he lost it twice i think like he lost it when he became super intelligent and then again because i think I I was of the opinion he ends the book in a worse state than he started it. Yeah, and what makes you say that it was worse than at the beginning? He he loses a lot of his independence 
And it's implied, at least to me, that he will forget the things that he experienced on the peak. I think if he got to keep those things, then it would be different. But it, my impression was it, things were mostly taken away from him. Well, and he doesn't have the same attitude he had at the beginning of the book. Like, the, this is what I think the, the author did the best job of, was just like his emotional state comes through so well in his journal entries and in the beginning he has this like positive child like puppy he's like a puppy yeah. in the beginning and then at the end he's like back to back to that intelligence level but he doesn't have that same like happy innocence to him like he definitely seems sadder i mean i think there i think it's also pretty strongly implied that he's going to die soon too Oh really? Which, yeah, because he when they when they autopsy Algernon, his brain had been like eaten away. Mm. Remember? Yeah. And so the mm. and I they didn't he doesn't explain it very much, but what I interpreted his allusions to like the Algernon Gordon effect was that whatever they were doing was basically like you know, like, like effectively burning the, the wicked, burning the candle at both ends or whatnot. They were like using up what little brain power he had to make him really smart for a short time, but it was going to result in his brain deteriorating way faster. So I, I at least had that impression from, it was like, he's going to Warren, but he's not, but like he, it, like it wasn't a bell curve where he like went up and came back down. It was like bell curve where he went up and he's just going to keep going down from here. And like, that's going to be the end of it. Mm-hmm. That part's not clear though. He also lost something from the beginning of the book to the end, which was like the community that was around him, which he was kind of, you know, I don't think like he obviously didn't pers- intend for that to happen, but at the beginning he had the bakery job. He had like, I forget the guy's name, but the guy who ran the bakery was kind of like a guardian in some ways for him. Um, and then he at least thought the people working at the bakery were his friends, which in some some of them actually did seem like decent people, and some of them were assholes. But there were like there were like one or two of the people I actually thought were not as bad as like they actually were. You know, maybe not friends, but like he might have interpreted them as friends. But at the end, he had nobody. He yeah. kind of lost all of yeah. them. Yeah. I wonder, so one of the things in the book that like when he gets to be super intelligent, he really resents is the pity that he receives. He's like, people, they either don't view me as a person or they view me as a person and they pity me. And like the the common thread across the two being a lack of respect. I wonder like when we say like, oh, he's worse off. He's worse off from like his point of view, but in absolute terms at the beginning, like a lot of those people were making fun of him, yeah. even though he thought they were his friends. So like, yeah. Is it better to know that they were cruel and not to have them? Or is it better not to know that they're cruel, be around them while they're being cruel and not know? That's actually like a really hard question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And kind of an open, because I mean, like he was happy in the beginning. Right. And like, it, it, there's that weird moment in one or two of the journal entries where you can tell what's happening to him, but he can't tell yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah, when they like have him go around the corner of the bar and then they run away from him. Yeah, then they run away. Yeah. yeah. Or they like got him drunk too on purpose. Yeah. Alice, on the note of pity, Alice was just an incredible character. So she's the yeah. she's the teacher 
And she's the only one, in my opinion, I think she represents the best of the various axes all the characters live on. So she doesn't pity him. She's purely kind. She has no uh, personal ambition, like not personal ambition is the wrong word, but like, you know, the researchers are trying to get their name out there and like Alice is doing it for the good of doing it, you know. She's the only one not trying to use him in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And she's the only one who's yeah. not trying to use him genuinely good, but also optimistic. Because the closest others would be the people who work at the Warren home, but they're not optimistic. They're very pessimistic. They're just like, these people are here yeah. until they die. And Alice has this like, you know, you has like a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel sort of an attitude. She's similar to the mom in that way too, where the mom is like that, but without the realism. And that is what sort of leads to her downfall. Yeah. Alice also is probably the one character who respects like the humanity of him. Cause he, you know, kind of like he, he mentions this even where he was saying when I wasn't intelligent, it's like, I wasn't a person. Like I became a person to the researchers once I acquired my intelligence. And, it, and he reflected on that with a lot of people, like seemed like they just didn't view him as an actual person. Um, and Alice seemed to be yeah. one of the, I, I don't know if the only character, because the mom actually did some of that too early, in the early part of his life, for sure. But like Alice, throughout his entire life, no matter what condition he was in, pre, during, post, she continued to view him as a person the entire way through. Yeah. And that's the difference with the mom is, it. I think like it's a bit of an open question, but my take was, the mom cared more what people viewed her son as, as opposed to how her son was actually doing. So once she had the second kid, then she effectively abandoned Charlie and only focused on the second kid and then eventually got rid of Charlie. Like, I think she was the reason that they took him out of the house, right? And like sent him away. Yeah. 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 I actually felt really bad for the dad in the scenario too. Like the dad. Yeah. The dad didn't seem like a bad a bad person yeah. at all. But yeah, I mean, clearly couldn't stop. Like, I mean, right. I mean, uh, uh, did I miss something there or like did, yeah, he just didn't no, he seem a little powerless. Seems happy to accept him. Yeah. 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 The mom was so desperate to try to like fix him and then to get him out of the house. So she could focus on her daughter. I was actually a little bit sad when he met the dad as an adult and like at the barbershop and didn't uh, and uh, like it makes sense why the author did it the way that he did but it was like i just was like hoping that he would like i just kind of wanted that reunion yeah yeah i kind of disagreed with that decision i felt like i felt like he should have gotten a happy closure with the dad because the dad was kind of always on his side yeah and like i i feel like it almost didn't make sense that the dad got denied that yeah, I felt the same. Way. That could have, yeah, that could have been a nice moment to be like, you know, like, like a forgiveness, right? Because mm-hmm. like it, something felt very appropriate that the mother had developed dementia. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And then Charlie poetic, goes back, actually. and it's like, yeah, yeah. Like he goes back, and then he's trying to help her, and she's running away scared, and she's like locking the door. It's like, okay, you've had this like complete role reversal, and yeah, it's like. There's a little bit of like karmic, like, uh, or just like karma to it, right? And with the sister, too. It's like both of those reunions felt very well done. But yeah, the dad, I, I felt like wasn't quite right. I felt the same way, Nat, about the dad. 
I wonder if the reason like he was denied it was like, why could he have not done more? Cause it always felt like he was not do like the scenes where the mom is beating Charlie. Like he's sort of in the yeah. background letting it happen. He's like, don't do it. But you know, it's like, why yeah, like a little power? He's not really stopping it. Yeah. 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 I really like that he had closure with the sister. I didn't understand why he lied to her. Like that part About was so because he says that. Yeah, yeah. Because he says, "Okay, you know," he said, "Like it's better now," and like I'm going to help you, and I'm going to send you money, and I'm going to do all these things. And it's like, like he knew he only had a couple months at that point. So I'm surprised that he said that. Maybe he was yeah, still sending know. money though, because like maybe he had money after he died, like when he died. Maybe he still did, yeah. did do the money part. I could have sent her the money from the uh, whatever they were going to pay to support him at Morin House. I also wonder if it would just like her life clearly had not gone as she had planned. And yeah, this was like one good thing for her to see him. But totally. I don't know. In every other context, he was very generally pretty forthcoming, I thought. Totally. The other, the other thing that I suppose is tragic, but I, I also didn't fully understand is like Alice again is like sort of the best character in terms of not the best character, but like the best person of the characters. And he's pretty bad to her. Like just so many, like first he kind of uses her as a therapist and is very yeah. like the entire relationship is about him. Then he recognizes that, but then still sort of like just hops in and out of her life at his own, uh, sort of whenever he wants. Yeah. And then in the end, you know, when she's there and like clearly trying to help him, he's like aware of, he's like aware of how he's treating her, unable to help himself. And then eventually just like totally uh, kicks her out of his life, which like, I, I do think there's something to be said of like, he clearly is unable to control it, but it's interesting that that was the instinct because a lot of his other instincts are to please. Yeah. The early part is more understandable than the later part because the early part he was kind of like, and and I think this was done on purpose. He was kind of like a child growing up in like super sped up time. And so it's like, if you think about it, it's like one, he doesn't know what's happening to him Two, Like he probably has the mental maturity of like an 11 year old or 12 year old, even though his intellect has probably surpassed that, you know? So it's like it, in the early one, it's like, okay, he's figuring it out kind of thing. And which is probably why from an Alice perspective, you can, make the argument of like, she's being patient with him because she knows fully what was going on. So she was probably just being patient, like being like, okay, he's going to mature. And like, I just got to deal with this for now. (laughs) But the later stuff is like more, more like unforgivable, like why he treated her that way at the end. It could be like, uh, and they were kind of showing parallels to this with Algernon, like the mouse, the mouse was doing like a lot of the same behaviors. He was biting now. And didn't he bite his female companion, yeah. the female companion mouse? Yes. He yeah. Did. Didn't he kill her? Yeah, he or no, her. not kill her. Like just bit her. Nearly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So maybe they were just like showing that this is like a side effect of the operation or something, like part of the decline. Yeah, the irritability. Yeah. Yeah. Algernon dying was so. It was just like two sentences, and it was so beautifully poetic and sad. It was just so well written. There's, I don't, I, I don't know. There's yeah. not much to say about it. It was just incredible. And then you were like, "Wow!" I'm like cheering up over like a fictional mouse. <laughs> 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 the 
he there were a bunch of really great like like throwaway lines like that you know like like just very powerful lines in very short uh, or very just very powerful lines right the scene also in the convention where he he escaped with Algernon was just like an amazing so sequence <laughs> yeah we were talking about like people not viewing him as human and I deal in your notes there's a good section about treatment of the of the disabled I think it was probably like a good jumping off point for this like one of the things that just it really showed because it, it felt very realistic like the treatment of him and the way people were like not viewing him as a person I think like that was that was like a big point the author just like highlighted is just like people don't view people who are less intelligent at, you know, to that level, um, yeah. mentally disabled, like they're not viewed as human beings largely by, by like most, most people and yeah. by society. And like, yeah. There are the really exaggerated ways, like when people were physically bullying him, but then there are the really subtle ways, like the impatience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, I think it's where they're like teaching him how to roll the dough and, he just, he's like, I just need like 10 seconds to remember. I just need like 10 seconds to remember. And then they like all walk away from him. I wonder if that's how AI is going to view humans. Like these guys are too slow. <laughs> Probably. If AI has an opinion. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> good. Good question. Odile's little rabbit device is going to hop away if he's too slow. <laughs> yeah. It's like, which flight do you want? I just need five seconds to think about these decisions. Yeah. It's like too slow. I'm going <laughs> to name the rabbit Algernon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, would you, would you guys consider this a sci-fi book? Like it was definitely considered sci-fi is how like, that's mm-hmm. like the genre it's classified under, but yeah, it was like, it was also like almost like a moral philosophy book or something. I mean, I think it's I think it's sci-fi the way Infinite Chest is sci-fi. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, it's like yes, it is science. Like it, it is fiction in some or like some of the science is fictitious. But I don't know if that means that. But it's certainly not like sci-fi fantasy. Yeah, it felt more like the the sci-fi portion, meaning the operation, is essentially the yeah the sci- the like fiction the science fiction part. It felt like to me yeah like a plot device used by the author to explore this topic. Like it was definitely not a sci-fi, like an Ender's game or like three body problem or like something like that. But it was like, to me, it was almost like this is a book about like ethics and philosophy and like how people are treated and how it feels to be like intelligent versus not intelligent and like the changes. And that's like the, you know, so I don't even know if I'd classify it as a full, like it might be like a moral or ethics book even. Or like, I think philosophy. you could make the case for both. It, yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it, sci-fi there's not philosophy enough like, or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's literary fiction. Yeah. It's just interesting that it won the Hugo award. Cause I, I was Googling yeah, around the Hugo award is like Hugo a award. very sci-fi award. Mm-hmm. One of the books we read got a Hugo. Oh, three body problem got a Hugo. Yeah. I mean, Permutation City had questions that could be called like yeah, moral true. questions around what it means to die. Yeah, uh, I just think the story was told differently, and just it had lots of computers, so it felt more sci-fi. That's true. 
It just probably, yeah, exactly. Like this is still sci-fi in the sense that this operation is fictional. The like, yeah. the the whole study is fictional, and that's a key plot point. Like, if this story instead of an operation had actually been like a Neuralink device, and it was for some reason taken away from him at the turning point, and otherwise the story was identical, then it would feel exactly like classic sci-fi. It's a biotech sci-fi. Yeah. There's no, no, it's a great, yeah. that's a, a good point. Yeah. yeah. It also brought up a good point about like dementia and Alzheimer's too. Like at some parts of that, you are aware of what's happening. And yeah, like, I wonder how some, like there's probably a lot of similar feelings to this. Actually, that's a really interesting point. Like both for Charlie and for his mom, they oscillate between lucid and not. And like, that is, that's one of the things that makes their condition so hard. Yeah. What did you guys think of the Charlie in the window in his mind? Mm. I think that ties to him not being viewed as a person. It's like his interpretation or his like internalization of him always being separate from other people and like just watching the world as opposed to being like a full participant in it. Like, that's just how he's, like, internalized that, that, like, the sense of I, like, the self as being just this, like, not, like, I'm not the same as everybody. I'm not with everybody. I'm not able to participate with everyone. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that, like, I think what it does a good job of is highlighting, like, his attitude towards the procedure and everything, because in the first two thirds of it, he's, like, running from the past Charlie, Mm. like trying to hide from it and like get away from himself. And it's only when he like actually confronts it and like speaks to himself in the mirror at that party and like, you know, acknowledges himself directly. Like that's when he starts to actually make progress on trying to like figure out what's going on and try to prevent the degradation from happening. Like, like basically everything is getting worse as long as he's avoiding it. And then it like briefly gets better for a little bit once he does acknowledge it before the degradation sets in again. Like, like it has that useful element of like self reckoning with it. And it was kind of freaky. Yeah. Yeah. It, it made me feel like you sort of have the, the part of you that is so core, it's basically instinct. And then there's everything new that he built very, very quickly. And it was like built so quickly. It's like easy to revert back. I think they personified it as two different people, but I don't know. I, a less extreme example might be like everyone has a voice in their head that's stuck at a certain age. And sometimes you have to like adapt that voice to your present condition. So like for me, it's like, I always feel like I'm like 27 or 28. And then, you know, my grandmother has said this where she's like, the voice in my head is just 30. And then sometimes I wake up and I'm in my 70s and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. I, I wonder if this is, at what point does your life accelerate so much that the internal and external just split? On the note of the treatment of the disabled, there was an interesting scene where he's at the restaurant and there's that server who drops the plates and then everyone laughs. Yeah. And then it comes up that, you know, he is handicapped and he was also laughing. Charlie was also laughing at him. And then he realizes he was laughing, feels a lot of shame and jumps up and kind of yells at everyone else for laughing at him. It, that to me, like, felt like 
even when you have so much empathy that you've literally been that person, it's still difficult to know how to treat them from the other side. Like that's his, that's really one of his only interactions with someone who is uh, disabled besides his brief visit to the to war. The war yeah. And when he goes back to his class and that, yep. Yeah. He doesn't, but otherwise he doesn't really for how critical he is of how everybody else is treating so, him. He doesn't really set a good example. No, I think, I think also that whole section was even put in the book. It, this is like my interpretation, obviously, but I think the author did that to show that like the other characters in the book aren't necessarily bad. Like he's like Charlie's reacting the exact same way. And he should be like the most patient. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's in his past and his future to be the same as, as somebody who is mentally disabled and he's still unable to not like react the same way as everyone else is. I did think the people that, well, two groups of people that are, are interesting to to comment on. One is like the uh, the researchers. I feel like Charlie was way like less like not generous to them at all, <laughs> and just like hated them. <laughs> Even though like they actually didn't seem like that bad. Like sure, some of them, like one of them in particular, I forget which one, but it was like very focused on like the you know awards and like the uh, the public acknowledgement of the experiment, but like. Yeah generally it was like seemed like they had pretty good intentions and like we're trying to do something actually like kind of world changing yeah Niemer, Niemer i think was yeah. the one who was really obsessed yeah there's that really good uh the party where charlie gets drunk and tells yeah. him off I, I have the quote yeah. i'll read that i i just love this quote it's so charlie is saying to Niemer, i've learned that intelligence alone doesn't mean a damn thing here in your university, intelligence, education, knowledge have all become great idols. But I know now there's one thing you've all overlooked. Intelligence and education that hasn't been tempered by human affection isn't worth a damn. Don't misunderstand me. Intelligence is one of the greatest human gifts, but all too often a search for knowledge drives out the search for love. This is something I've discovered for myself very recently. I present it to you as a hypothesis. Intelligence without the ability to give and receive affection leads to mental and moral breakdown, to neuroses, and possibly even psychosis. It's interesting how they like framed that difference for him, where like his his intelligence advances so quickly, and but his emotional intelligence yeah. hasn't really caught up to it at all. And then it's kind of like he hits an intellectual peak. But the like emotional awareness keeps going beyond it. So there's almost this like leapfrogging effect that happens where then he gets this point where he's like, oh, a lot of this intellectual stuff doesn't matter. Like it's actually the emotional component that's more important and like understanding myself and not like downloading all this random information. Cause like he stopped, as I understood it, he like stopped like reading all of this other stuff, you know, he like had this period on the way up where he was like, Oh, I need to like learn everything. And then he kind of like seems to move past that and is like, Oh, actually these other things are more important. It's like that it, it framed in that conversation. I think it was really interesting too, where it's like, not only am I smarter than you, but I'm also like more emotionally aware of what all of this like means. He's like, I've moved on from like the altar of intelligence. Yeah, exactly. Spiritual master, Charlie Gordon. 
Yeah, because you're right. Actually, I hadn't thought of it under that frame. But after he's done with all the reading and language learning and so on, he just spends that, what sounds like a month or so, just wandering the streets at night and trying to bump into people. Yeah. What did you, in the beginning, when they after they did the operation and they were playing the tapes for him at night, what, what did you guys interpret that as? Is that just like a hypnosis thing? Like Where he kept saying, like, the TV, like, that damn TV is on yes. or whatever. I yeah. assumed it was kind of like... Yeah, I assumed it was like a Michelle Thomas, maybe not language learning, but just like some sort of educational tape that you could play in the background. That's what I thought. But my initial thought when they first, when it was first mentioned was, and this like obviously wasn't correct, but like my initial thought was like, it's an internal dialogue happening for the first time. Like before that, he didn't have like this internal monologue happening. Oh. And like now it's the voice, like he has a voice in his head that like is talking that's interesting yeah, yeah. but that was i, I don't think that's correct with tv though. yeah yeah i don't think that's yeah, correct yeah. but that was the first time they mentioned it i thought that that was what was happening but then they mentioned it again and like someone i think a third party like another character mentioned like oh it's good they for you like, changing the tapes that yeah. they gave him or yeah. something yeah yeah but the, it would have been interesting to address that in some way neil like the you know the bicameral mind turning on or whatever yeah 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 exactly that's what i was thinking that's what i was thinking it seemed like he didn't he didn't totally have like a fully formed consciousness in the beginning like he like he he clearly thought but he couldn't like think about thinking yes exactly yeah like he could think but he couldn't like go one like abstract one level up from that okay wait this is actually a good a good tangent do you guys you guys have like an internal dialogue, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know that some people don't? I've heard this. Like, is that is it's it a common like, thing? Like a lot of people just, just a... yeah, it's like a common thing. Only thirty to fifty percent have inner monologues, which means up to seventy percent don't have a like. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> what? Wait, really? This is I'm looking at this right now. Do they have any theories as to like? why some people develop an inner monologue and others do not? Or is this a bad survey of some sort? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm wondering. A person without an inner monologue isn't constantly imagining their next move in their head. Instead, they just kind of do it. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on like, I'm on Reddit. There's a Reddit thread about this and like everybody says they have one. Who's responding to Yeah, but that's because it's Reddit. Yeah. Like, like I... I think that this is one of those things where it like there, it, it, I bet it correlates with certain personality types too, like certain Myers Briggs or whatnot. Cause it's like, if you go on, if you look on Reddit, there's like a disproportionately high number of INTJs, for example, mm. but that should, that's something like only one to 2% of people who test Myers Briggs. So like people are self-selecting into these groups. Like I'm sure Twitter has a disproportionately high, selection of certain like Myers-Briggs types and That's inner monologue types. Yep. It Okay. So some people say that it's like more picture based and those people would say no mm. to the inner monologue. Yeah. I'm really good. Like what is meditation like if you don't have an inner, like what, it's every this really fucks with me like, every time I look at it. Dust. Yeah. Like, are you just always calm? Like, that's clearly not the case because, like, it's not as if half the people are walking around totally zenned out. Yeah. So, are you, like, just as reactive, but 
you don't like talk to yourself about how reactive you're being as this habit. Like I just, this, this blows my mind every time it comes up. And like, I, I don't think it's like an intelligence thing either. As somebody who has an inner monologue, I'd like to believe it's an intelligence thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Somebody mentioned on this Reddit thread, I'll, I'll, uh, send you guys this Reddit thread, but somebody mentioned my therapist, my therapist prescribed me ADHD meds a while back. And a side effect was that the inner monologue was gone. That's Ooh. spooky. That's so spooky. Dude, I want to try that. If only 30% of people have an inner monologue, then like, what does the movie inside out mean to most people? Right? Like it clearly, I wonder if there's a way this question is being asked that, well, no, I think I think that movie would still make sense because they can they know what it feels like to feel angry. They just don't have that conversation. I am angry. They just yeah. feel angry, right? So it's not that hard to imagine. Maybe it's even easier to imagine there are these little poltergeists running around inside your body, hmm. you know, controlling these outward expressions or whatnot. Because then you don't have to deal with like the monologue failing to control things. Like one thing I'd be interested to see, it'd be almost impossible to measure this, but I bet that like suicide rates are higher in people who have monologues. Mm, like yeah. I bet, de- I bet depression rates might be higher too, because there's like a certain amount of like self judgment that comes when like the monologue isn't in control, right? Like I bet you have a heightened sense of selfness when you have the monologue. These comments on the Reddit are so relatable. The second comment is my inner monologue is just me telling me I'm dumb. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true for me. <laughs> no inner monologue. Oh, wow. The peace. <laughs> oh, someone did talk about med- meditation. They said meditation let me abstract away from the critical voice and just view it as a mental phenomenon. <laughs> There's a comment, uh, Entity417. Inner monologue? It's actually the serial screenplays of imaginary, major, well-received films. (laughs) Complete with with emotional musical scores. Everything I do is a significant scene. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so there's one one person brings up a good point. It said, I think the other 50% are just misunderstanding what an inner monologue is. That, that that would be my guess. Yeah. Mm. So it's like they probably think it's a literal voice in your head that talks to you like Homer Simpson. <laughs> that's not inner di- that's not inner monologue, it's schizophrenia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, monologue versus dialogue. <laughs> but like these other Reddit comments, people are explaining what it seems like we all experience of this like constant chatter. And other people are commenting, saying, saying like, that sounds awful or that sounds exhausting. Like, how do you deal with that? Right? Yeah, so there are some people. So they're clearly yeah. not experiencing even like a, a calmer version. You know, they're, they're clearly not imagining a like voice from God. It's not like the Iliad. Mm-hmm. I do think like this is partly, as someone with a very talkative voice in his head, why I love sports and athletics is the reaction time is so quick it just forces you to be yeah. instinctual and like the voice has got to get out of the way yep and you, you feel great in the, this totally different way the voice is also too slow to it's like uh exactly. yeah like your conscious reaction time is too too slow to be thinking yeah. about it yep well yeah, I, 
I don't remember where I picked up this analogy, but I really love it. Right. It's like the voice is actually in the passenger seat, making room for room noises. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like that's so true. it's not, it's not really driving the car. <laughs> I don't like to think it is. <laughs> I mean, that kind of came up in straw dogs a little bit too, I think. Yeah. It's going up in a lot of places. I mean, like for the, for the example you just gave Neil, it's like inner game of tennis is the one that I always think of. Yep. And like, I think about it because I do, I do this trick on my friends all the time. Like if they're playing really well in pickleball, I'll say something like, Oh, your serve is really good today. Like, what are you doing differently? Dude. Okay. And so that is one of the best, uh, that's like one of the it's best mind trick. games in, in tennis. Like that's what people, that's exactly yeah. like what you were told to do. Like you would just make somebody think about it. Like if they were doing something that, that, you know, clearly they're playing like out of their mind, you just try to make them think about it. <laughs> yep, or it's like i mean you see it in every sport like basketball it happens a lot football it happens a lot where like you'll use trash talk to try to get somebody emotional because then they'll get out of that yeah. like zen mental space so you just will try to you like do and say stuff yeah they talk a lot about it in flowers as well like in the beginning there's the tv tapes that we talked about and then later when he's working on the research problem he actually deliberately stops working on it consciously. Like yeah. He hits a wall and then he's like, instead of panicking and giving up, I've got to take my mind off the problem for a while and let it stew. I've gone as far as I can on a conscious level and now it's up to those mysterious operations below the level of awareness. And then with his mom too, he like, uh, I have the quote up so I'll just read it. I wondered if I had ever done anything to justify my mother's fear. There were no such memories, but how could I be sure there weren't horrible thoughts repressed behind the barriers of my tortured conscience in the sealed off passageways beyond blind alleys that I would never see. Possibly I will never know. So it's like, even after he discovers like much of his own life, it's like his research breakthrough, his relationship with his mom, like how he learns things like remain a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good tangent. That was fun. That was a great tangent. That was a good tangent. We went for like 30 minutes with no tangents. It was getting way too professional. <laughs> Adil, another another good point you had in the notes is like, are you the same person as you become more or less intelligent? And that he seemed to be three different people. Yeah, I, I agree. And I do think like the... Well, actually, I don't know if I... Okay, so there's like... It depends where you... Like how you define person, I guess. Right? Because it's like he was a person at all three points roughly like beginning middle and end of this book and i guess the question is like was his personality based on his person or it is your our personality based on our our like some innate personhood that we have or is it based on our intelligence or is it based on are there you know how how you interpret others are treating you because mm -hmm. i think like the nicest version of charlie was the beginning part of the book like the most sort of like Ironically, the happiest probably version of Charlie was the beginning of the book. Yeah. And I think like the middle mm -hmm. Charlie actually was kind of like there were definitely times where he was not a likable character. And then the end part, it was like you kind of understood what was happening to him and you like, you know, you kind of gave him a little more grace, I think, in the, the last section. Yeah. But there were definitely parts of the middle of the book, especially it was my first time reading the book. Right. So I didn't know the decline was coming. There were some times where I was like, this this guy's a little bit insufferable. 
Like he just didn't give any grace at certain points to other people. Like he he did not give them any like room for like you know any other like interpretation other than malice for their actions. Yeah. Which is weird because I wonder how much of that was because of his intelligence or because he just didn't like them. Because then when it came to Faye, he was like yeah. great to Faye. That's true. Yeah. And Faye didn't have like she didn't value intelligence. She just valued like freedom and fun. And I think at one point he says she only cares about three things like dancing, painting and sex. Yeah. Yeah. I think there were four Charlies though. I put three in the notes, but I think it's like who he is in the the beginning. Then sort of the sort of this like teenage phase as he's growing up, then the super intelligence and then the regression at the end. Yeah. I was probably gonna say four too, because I I was actually going to say that I, I think he was the most likable when he was on the way up. Like, yeah. When he's got that, when it's like starting yep. to work and he's like all excited about punctuation and learning yep. <laughs> and it's like, it's super, super endearing, right? It's really right. sweet. The John Gray, like who you are as stringing a narrative of your life together, like you are yeah. a set of your experiences from the first person. It's kind of hard to say he's the same person because his interpretation of those events changes at least twice between before the operation and afterwards. And then before the regression and afterwards. So like from that lens, he's three people. And then as a person interacting with them, you could say he's four people. Yeah. I mean, I think he's definitely not the same person because like, I don't know, there's another good like thought experiment related to this. I think like Sam Harris has done this one a lot, right? Like the UT Austin shooter. You guys know the story? Oh, he had the tumor in his brain, right? Yeah, yeah. This was like uh, a long time ago, seventies, eighties. Yeah, it was like the worst mass the shooting or UT something. UT clock right? tower. Like, yeah, yeah, up until Virginia Tech, it, yeah, it was the worst for a long time. But before he did it, he wrote a note saying, "I don't know why I'm doing this, but like I have to do it." And then when they autopsied him, he had like a giant tumor pressing on like some part of his brain that like almost certainly made him do it. And so it's kind of this interesting question. Like, imagine he had been captured instead of killed and they'd done an operation and removed the tumor like should he get to just like go free right because mm. like yeah on the one hand like that is a different person but on another hand like it's not <laughs> right it's actually kind of a tough question I, I i really don't know the answer to it yeah yeah it's like, and I don't know how the law works around this, but what about like when people plead insanity? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that does get them off sometimes, right? Like you're, I don't know. I don't know if this is an actual case or from just thinking of inception, right? But it's like your your wife like drowns the kid in the bathtub and then you kill her or something, right? Like mm. it seems like, I think those are like, in those types of cases, right? I think you at least get like reduced sentences and whatnot, don't they? Yeah. Cause it's not a premeditated. Yeah. Like the real world is so fuzzy and like capital punishment is black and white. So it's, if, is there a tumor like that's the size of a marble that doesn't make you do something, but the size of a tennis ball does. And at some point it flips from being you to not being you. Also, like, where's the line for some stuff like that? We talked about this on the podcast before, but like the whole thing about toll plazas and lead. Remember, like, uh, I think we talked about. Oh, it on the yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. How much? 
how much lead pollution was driving up crime. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, again, are those like, I mean, see, this is where it's like so hard to draw the line because it's like, are those people at that time who were committing crimes? Is it because of like the lead pollution that's like causing them to commit the crime? But how much of it's like a one to one versus like you're predisposed and like, yeah, I mean, there's just yeah so much fuzziness. I have a thought jumping off of that with like social media and stuff and like TikTok, which is like how like how how little of a nudge do you need to sort mm. of like snowball into very like dangerous ideas, right? Like, I don't know if you guys saw the surveys that have been going around, but about like how anti-Semitic Gen Z is. It's like, mm. just like ridiculously high compared to any older generations. And there's like a lot of interesting research on TikTok suggesting that it like might be pushing more like anti-Semitic videos. And so there's like, there's an interesting question within that where it's like, if there's just like a little one or 2% weight on the scale to push somebody in one direction, like, is that enough to get some number of people to end up in like really weird belief places? Kind of like how much lead pollution do you need to like just get somebody's inhibition down low enough that they end up like murdering someone in like a momentary bit of rage. It's probably like less than we think. Like I, I feel like the, like the, the thin film of like prefrontal cortex conscious restriction on our like animal behaviors is like probably weaker than we want to think it is. Yeah. And one of those, one of those things that in addition to consciousness and, prefrontal cortex that limits our behaviors is like social norms. And I think, mm, yeah. uh, I think like y- the one thing about social media that like has not really existed in any other period of time is that, you know, you can have a population that like lives next to each other, but inhabits entirely different social worlds. And yeah. so, you know, it's like, I mean, I, I, I think like growing up in like the United States in like the nineties and early two thousands, like anti-Semitism was like kind of a no go zone. Like it just like couldn't happen. Like we were just everything we were taught about the Holocaust and, you know, just like, it was just such a, I think like societal norm that it's just like not something that's like allowed. And I imagine there's probably like, I mean, whether, I don't know if it's like a TikTok problem or it's just like a social media problem. That's like, probably more of where I'd lean, but like you can just choose who you follow now and you can just end up in just a totally different social norm situation where it's like, you might not even think it's like a wrong thing because it's just like, Oh, everybody is like that. Of course. Yeah. It's all, it kind of reminds me of like the David Foster Wallace. What the fuck is water thing? Like the social norm stuff is something we're so blind to. I don't think we actually understand, like, realize our social norms for the for the most part. Like, just especially on social media, it's just like, oh yeah, everybody believes seed oils are bad. But then if you go like talk to you know the average American person, like they have no idea what a seed oil probably even is, which is you know it's just like such a um, it's just such it is like the water analogy is like the only thing you can use to describe it. It's just like you think you interpret you you inhabit this reality that is not really real. It's like your reality, yeah. but it's not truly reality it's like how deep into the stack of your premises do you need to go in order to have a conversation with somebody yeah yeah 
Like you could, you guys could call each other and basically be like, "Oh, I swapped the seed oil for ghee," and like that's all you'd have to say without explaining anything else. Yeah. And to someone else, they'd be like, "Sorry, I don't know <laughs> any of the words that you said." <laughs> the hell is a swap? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or like remember during like the crypto time. Like during the crypto boom time, like 2020, 2021, like all the crypto terms, if you ever tried using them with anyone who <laughs> had not experienced crypto, they just like thought you were speaking another language, which you kind of were. Well, I, I remember, I remember <laughs> when the crypto stuff started and it felt like, like started, started like when Beeple was a thing and like he was starting to pick up and this was like December, 2020. And you were just starting to hear about NFTs. And it was like, oh my God, NFTs, NFTs, NFTs. And there's like millions of dollars getting traded on NFTs. And then somebody did some analysis and there were only like 2,000 active users on OpenSea who were trading more than like $100. And they were all just like trading with each other. But that resulted in like huge amounts of money moving around. So it seemed like this massive thing. And then like it, uh, NFTs eventually got bigger. But even when they got like big, it was still like not that many people in the grand scheme of things. But it was like all this noise. And then, yeah, there were obviously people who had like no idea, like hardly anything that was going on. I, I was thinking about that the other day with just like my Twitter curation. Like I'm, I'm super, dil- I'm, I'm pretty diligent about it. And just thinking about like how it's changed over the years where it was like, mm-hmm. Uh, like make money online entrepreneur types and then like course creator like influencer types and then it was like you know seo and agencies and like crypto and then now it's like meditation jana guys and like ray pete super fringe like health enthusiasts and then like the friends I've made along the way. It's like such a weird mix of things now that I don't think, I think there are like a few hundred people who I could have like a cohesive conversation with just based on like that niche combination. It's amazing. I I really wonder like the average Nat follower who has not met you, who has been there since 2013 through all these waves, (laughs) right? Like, (laughs) Very yes. <laughs> How many people have such a strange, as strange of a collection of interests as me? Which is pretty amazing, actually, that there are those people. Like that's really fun. To be to be to be fair, though, I have a decent hit rate of finding things like two to three years before they become popular. Yeah. So, dude, the like, water fast. Dude, water fasting. Uh, yeah. Seed oils, like you know, a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I'm telling you, a couple years, sugar is going to be back on the table. It's going to be drinking orange juice again. The maple syrup uh, coffee is right. Maple syrup coffee and lots of honey in my yogurt. Good stuff. Recommend yeah, it. Honeycomb, by the way, really underrated. Oh, so good. How do we get on this tangent? Oh, the tumor thing. The tumor thing. Yeah, the Texas the shooter. Oh, yeah. If you were the same person. That is like a really hard, like, I mean, the law probably interprets it a certain way, but like, I don't know how, like, I don't know where I personally draw that line. Like once you go down that rabbit hole, it's like, it's kind of arbitrary where you draw the line. Well, I think it, it makes us really uncomfortable because I feel like logically I should be able to say, yes, if he got the tumor removed, then there's no reason to imprison him. 
because the point of prison should be to prevent future crimes from happening, like not just to punish people. But like, if it was my kid that got killed, I'd be like, lock that bitch up. Like, I don't care. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think part of it is, is just that we, I don't know. Like, I think that even if we can like logically accept it, I don't think we can emotionally accept that we're not really in control. Well, okay. So exactly. Like, I think it's like, we can all sit here and say like, Oh, I wouldn't like murder, you know, some like an innocent person, but like maybe we're just, you know, let exposure away, you know, as a child from being, having been that person now. Right. Like it's just, it's very like it's very easy to sit here and be like, oh, well, I would never do that. But I don't know if you start looking at a lot of these like correlations and like cause and effect. And it's like, well, you know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> actually, if I would yeah. like my personality would not be this way if I was exposed to lead as a child in those types of amounts. Or it's very light. It's very possible. What is it? Maybe. Society is. Society is three meals away from chaos or something. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I've heard that as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 If you read about any of those, like I mean, the Holocaust obviously is like its own uh thing, but even like if you read about like the Rwandan genocide and stuff, it's like it, it it's people are not that fa- like in a normal circumstance, like somebody who's a perfectly nice person can do like super horrific things uh, under different different circumstances. This is very much like the straw dogs uh, where he talks about the Russian camps. Mm. Right. There's that guy. Did he talk about Solzhenitsyn in that or no? I forget the guy's name, but he basically, he was in like a, I think he was in like a Siberian gulag for like 17 years. And he was talking about like, you know, when you're in there and it's cold and you're hungry, everything is zero sum. Hmm. Hopefully we don't have to see this theory get tested out in our lifetime. Yeah. In the U.S. I mean, it's tested. Will, it's already tested like yeah. elsewhere in the oh, world. Oh, yeah. It's just, yeah. yeah. In the U.S. it has not been. Uh, or it kind of is, well, yeah, actually, I would sort say. Of like, I mean, we, yeah, we've talked about this before that like we're, we're still creating just as much suffering. We just outsource it to other places. All right. It's like there are more slaves today than any point in history. Yeah, but even in the U.S., like we... This probably exists. The zero sum stuff totally exists in like inner cities already. Mm. Like, you know, I think it's like there's, we have different stratas of the US basically. Yeah. What was the other point you wanted to hit on a deal? There was one other you said. Oh, yeah. I had one other quote. I, this is a really hard reversion back to the book. It's going to have nothing to do with what we were just talking about. I, there was a paragraph in the book that I thought was like the best description of flow. Uh, ever. Mm. So uh, I'll read it. It's a little, it's a little long, but I'm going to go through the whole thing. I'm on the edge of it. I sense it. They all think I'm killing myself at this pace, but what they don't understand is that I'm living at the peak of clarity and beauty. I never knew existed. Every part of me is attuned to the work. I soak it up into my pores during the day. And at night in the moments before I pass off into sleep, ideas explode into my head like fireworks There is no greater joy than the burst of solution to a problem. Incredible that anything could happen to take take away this bubbling energy, the zest that fills everything I do. It's as if all the knowledge I've soaked in during the past months has coalesced and lifted me to a peak of light and understanding. This is beauty, love, and truth all rolled into one. This is joy. And now that I have found it, how can I give it up? 
Life and work are the most wonderful things a man can have. I am in love with what I am doing because the answer to this problem is right here in my mind, and soon it will burst into consciousness. Yeah, it was beautiful. so good. It was so good. So good. There was a lot of really good writing. Yeah, yeah, just phenomenal writing. The sex scene with Alice towards the end is like incredible writing too. Like, I think that's the only time that I've ever felt like a sex scene was really like incredibly written. And there's not really any graphic details. It's just like the experience of it having happened is so well done. Yeah. Do you guys know this book was also one of the most uh, censored books of the 90s? I saw that on Wikipedia. Yeah. It's just because of like, because of the sex references, right? Yeah, I think so. I'm sure today it would get censored for using the word retarded so much. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's probably When was it written? Probably true. Uh, uh, 59? Yeah, it came out in 59. The novel came out in 66. The short story came out in 59. Okay. This is a very... I, I don't know if they... I'm guessing it's the short story and not the book, but it's very common to assign this story in middle school. Yeah. I you you had You had said you read it in middle school, right? I hadn't read it or if I had read it, I like don't remember reading the book. Uh, I was familiar with the story from a young age and I don't remember if I've read it or had just heard of it. What was it like rereading this book? Because I, I feel like for me reading it the first time, especially until like the final third, I was like wondering, is this a permanent change or is this, is he going to revert back? Like what's going to happen? It was more like a plot. Like I was pretty focused on the plot. I mean, I was, you know, paying attention to other stuff, but that was the biggest thing. Um, What was it like rereading it? Like, what did you, anything like interesting pop up on a reread? I mean, I think knowing how it, because the thing is the first time I read it, I also knew how it ended. Again, I don't remember. Yeah, I was going to say, did you read the description of the book, Neil? Like on Amazon or on the book jacket? No, purposely not. Uh, Okay, yeah, because it tells you. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Funny. I didn't. I. I kind of didn't want to know. Um, That's smart. Yeah. I had yeah. a feeling it would tell you. I'm something. always surprised. Yeah. I'm always surprised by how much gets given away on book jackets. Hmm. Like, it's like often the first turn or even like the middle point is given away, and so like you sort of know what's coming for the first 150 pages. TV show descriptions do that sometimes too. When you like get to an episode and then it'll have the description yeah. where like this happens like or dealing with this and you're like, well, why? the worst why is when the, <laughs> the worst is when the title of an episode tells you something. And so yeah. you're like picking episode two and then you see the title of episode five and you're like episode five, the funeral. It's like, well, fuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know they should they really got to like do the format like somewhat differently I feel like for these episodes where it's just more like a flip card type thing where it's like episode three is buried under episode two and like you can flip to it if you really yeah, want or... but you don't see it by default Adil do you want to talk about like you did that chat GPT interpretation of the uh, what were those the ink oh, plots yeah. yeah yeah so in the beginning there's the Rorschach test And they tell you, they don't tell you, or rather they don't, the author doesn't tell you very clearly what Charlie sees in the ink blots. It's just very quick. He's like, oh, two bats, two men with swords. And then he gives you the uh, psychiatrist, I believe, his notes. And the notes are some short form that you can't really decipher without outside help. 
So I threw those in the chat GPT. I was like, what is, what do these notes mean? And it was super interesting. So the notes basically meant that Charlie was like fixating on small parts of the image rather than focusing on the big picture, Mm. which in a way is sort of a little hint about things that will happen later. Like, you know, for example, his treatment of other people, he's always fixating on the small things they do rather than the big things they do. Yeah. I've been using chat GPT more when I put notes together for the books and if there's anything I don't understand it, it's actually a really good uh, book buddy. Yeah. Also, what a cool detail to throw in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like a little Easter egg. Yeah. Yeah. Neil, to answer your question on the (laughs) reading. Also, wait. (laughs) I just thought it's also kind of funny because he's also kind of making fun of you. Oh, Oh, yeah. That's so true. <laughs> oh my god i wonder if that was intentional or not <laughs> is actually is daniel keys i mean he must be dead i feel like but uh yeah he died, died in ago, 2014 yeah. but he did write an autobiography he he did write an autobiography and like apparent or i don't know if it's an autobiography but a memoir about about this book like it's called algernon charlie and i a writer's journey came out in 2000. I wonder if that's like mentioned in there. <laughs> that would yeah. be such a good like gotcha be to the reader. <laughs> Dude, that'd be interesting to read because like it, he only wrote like eight or nine books over his career and Algernon was the first one. Mm. And I don't think anything else he did came anywhere close to this. Yeah, only so, one of the other books has even a uh, even has a Wikipedia, Wikipedia page. page. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. The other, okay. So the other book that has a Wikipedia page is called The Minds of Billy, of Billy Milligan. The Minds of Billy Milligan is a 1981 nonfiction novel by Hugo Award winning author Daniel Keyes. It tells the story of Billy Milligan, the first person in US history acquitted of a major crime by pleading dissociative identity disorder. Interesting. Huh. And there's a new Apple TV miniseries based on it. Starring Tom Holland oh, yeah. and Amanda Seyfried. Hmm. The Crowded Room. Interesting. But yeah, but I mean, Nat, to your point, yeah, like he never wrote anything that got nearly this popular again. It always makes me kind of sad when I see that on like an author's page. Like, I wonder how they felt, you know? Yeah. It's like, that's got to be hard. Like he wrote this at 32 and then he kept publishing books for the next 54 50 years. More years. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly though, like this is such a special inspired book. Like should you write like one book of this quality in your career? That is pretty tremendous. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You do see, you do see stuff like this though happen. Like uh, I always think about whenever this comes up, I always think about Michael Chang, who's like, the youngest winner of a grand slam uh, in tennis ever. He won the French open Mm. at I think age 17. I'm just going to fact check this. Mm. Yeah. He won it at 17 years, 109 days old, which is the youngest man in history, but he never won again. He never won Mm. any other grand slams ever again, but a deal to your point, like to win even one is like tremendous and like a huge accomplishment that most people, you know, most even professional players never even get close to it. 
Yeah. And he won one. He just won it like super early on in his life. And like, you know, after 17 years old, never won ever again, which is kind of sad. But yeah, at that point, still, it's more yeah. about the early peak. It's like you're grateful you had a peak, but it had to be early. But like in sports, it makes sense, right? Because yeah, you can like, just get hot for like, like a, a period of time. Yeah. Well, and you're, you're going to be fittest when you're in your 20s and 30s, right? Like it's always interesting to me when it's like intellectual. I mean, I guess you do get a little bit less smart past like 30 or 35 or something, right? Like there's an intellectual peak. Actually, isn't it like 25 or 27? It's like something... It's something surprisingly low, and then it's like kind of mm. a, a slow decrease, and then a faster decrease. But, but yeah, you see it in a lot of like intellectual stuff a lot too, right? Like authors, scientists, artists, musicians. Like you would think they would do their best work at sixty, seventy, eighty, but it's often something they did in their like twenties or thirties. Mm. Hofstetter, right from uh, GEV. Yeah, same thing. GEV, man. Wasn't he like 28 when he wrote that book? I, I think so. Killed. So, so just impotent whenever I remember that. But even like someone like him, he was okay. frustrated. He was 34. He was 34. Okay. We got time. You guys. got time. Yeah. <laughs> we got time. But even he was like frustrated yeah, when we when reached we out to him, him about the book. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I felt bad. he made like a little comment of like, well, I have written other books since then. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Someone who is like a counterexample, I'm looking at Steinbeck's bibliography and mm. like he starts with, you know, one of his early books. I'm just going to name the ones I'd heard of. There are others before this, but one of his early ones is The Red Pony. And then a little later you have Of Mice and Men. And then you have Grapes of Wrath. And then you have The Pearl. And then you have East of Eden. And like, it seems like each of his books would be considered better than the previous one, at least of the five yeah. that I am familiar with. There's, there's more in here. Totally. Although the grapes of wrath and of mice and men remain his most popular novels. Steinbeck himself regarded East of Eden as his magnum opus. I, I would actually a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, me too. I, I haven't read grapes of wrath. Should I? Oh, actually, sorry. Yeah, I, can't I read it. I mean, I it's read it's definitely a good now. book, but I think it's... I, I can't believe we have... We need to do it's East of Eden on the podcast, just so I can reread oh, we it. we should. Yeah, I need an excuse so to reread it. Should we just put it on the calendar for, like... March? What should we say, like, a month from now? Yeah. I'm so down. I, I haven't read it in, like, 10 years. Yeah, I haven't read it, I haven't read it since, uh, since... Yeah, I think I read it in, like, maybe 2015 off... A deal's recommendation, maybe? At my urging, yeah. 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 I still have my Wi-Fi password named after it, so I should probably... <laughs> <laughs> what do we have next? So we have... Are we going to do an essay? A- essay. And then we're off so, for a couple weeks? Yeah, what was the essay? That we're well, we'll, I, maybe we'll release these kind of staggered, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because we're, we're recording one oh. a week for the last... Like, it would be like three straight weeks. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I just yeah. stagger them. Cool. Sorry to deprive you guys, dear listeners, but go to the website. No, no they won't be deprived. Know. We'll still get yeah. them every other week. Yeah, get the steady tip. <laughs> we will yeah. be deprived. We have to go for a few weeks without seeing each other. Yeah. Neil has to go on a honeymoon. Only really a couple weeks, though, right? It's like we're still recording next week. Then one week we're not recording. 
And then two weeks we're not recording. Yeah, we're just missing one recording date, but we're doing we're recording back to back weeks. Back to back to back weeks. So we miss one. Back to back to back. I forget what the essay well, I sent you guys a bunch of essays, and then I realized after sending them to you that there's no way for you guys to decide whether or not you want to read them without reading them. So then I sent you guys <laughs> then I sent you the summary. But I think Fear of Oozification was one of the interesting. Oh ones. yes, that's the one I started reading. Yes, I yeah. I uh started reading that one actually. It looks really, really good. It also looks like a, a different type of idea. Yes. Which I like. I was very inspired cool. by Nat's comment a few weeks back on like we should be going for wild and new ideas and this sounds like a wild this and is new one. idea. Also, uh if you guys are down Logi Comics. Yeah, uh, I, I saw just that. got my copy of it. I can do a little pre-read and screen it, see if it's good, and then let you guys know. Okay. But that also seems like it's like way out there. Do do the pre-screen, but like I I was glancing at the link you sent and looks actually pretty oh, sick. Yeah. Yeah. A graphic novel about the spiritual odyssey of Bertrand Russell. I'm fucking sold. We're, Let's go. we're already <laughs> sold. Yeah. Say no more. <laughs> Wow. Okay, and I then feel so nerdy that I got legitimately excited by that. But so it sounds Uzification, really cool. Logic Comics, right? And then East yep. of Eden. Is no, that I'm a good? Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. Oh, These are all going to be. Okay. Wow. We got a dude. This is cr- like this is helpful to look at sometimes. Like GEB only has two thousand Amazon reviews. Meanwhile, yeah, hundred me. million dollar leads by Alex Hormozzi has three thousand Amazon reviews. <laughs> Dude, the East of Eden Kindle version is ninety nine cents. Everybody should just go buy that right now. Good lord, the best ninety nine cents you've ever spent. Seriously, it's not even out of copyright, is it? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's close. I think it's like fifty two. Oh my yeah, god, did they do a Penguin yeah. Classics print? No, they didn't. Damn, okay. They should. Wait, they don't have a Penguin Classics print of it? I thought my version is Penguin I Classics. I think they do, yeah. Oh, sorry. I mean a cloth bag classic. Oh, okay. Mm. They should. I would buy that. So next thing we're covering is Fear of Oozification, which is going to be a sick essay. Started reading it. Looks Looks pretty good. I've not read the whole thing, so I'll, I will reserve judgment for the episode. As always, you can go to the website, madeyouthinkpodcast.com to see what we're covering next. And you can look at past episodes. You can look at all of our collections. We have some cool stuff there, like the great books. Um, what other collections do we have? We have the Zen. The do we have like a Zen canon. collection? Or? Uh, I guess we could organize a few. We into should a have Zen a Zen collection. collection. Yeah, we yeah. got a lot of books that fit the Zen collection. Yeah, yeah totally. we have a crypto crypto canon. Yep. And then we have the epic histories with like the right stuff and the river of doubt. Well, we haven't done an epic history Great in a while. Questions. Maybe that's after East of Eden. Do another epic so history. Down. Anyway, I'll think about that one. Um, but yeah, always do, sure check uh, out the website. Banana King. Oh, I love that book. That, that book is so good. I haven't, I haven't read it in like 10 years, so I'd be down to reread it. Yeah. Have you read it a deal? Nope. It's a oh. fun one. It's so oh. fun. <laughs> you gotta read it either way. All right, should we should we just commit Banana King? After East of Eden? I'm fucking down.
after yeah. Sweden. Sure. We got such a good lineup. We're gonna have to just Dude, I'm so we got a hell of a lineup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Make sure you keep subscribing, commenting. Uh, we got even more comments, by the way, in Spotify. There's some great ones. A couple I just checked today for the first time in like a week. There were like two, two or three new ones in there. Some thoughtful comments people are leaving. Uh, appreciate awesome. that. Great. You can only do that on Spotify, though. So uh, in Spotify, they let you respond and leave a comment on the episode, which is cool now. Thanks for the five-star reviews and seeing more and more of those. So keep that up. And tell a friend about the episode. Also, just read this book, Flowers for Algernon. It's just a yeah, phenomenal book. Fantastic book. If you need a nice little fiction to get into, it's lovely. Even if it's sad. Yeah, you might cry. If you don't cry, there's probably something wrong with you. <laughs>